0: Um, I'm happy to be here and to be able to see, that's the wrong way, dude, Um, all of your lovely faces. It has been a long time. I've been in Mexico for a while, but, you know, there's many things that are the same. It's the same, it's the same church, right? There may be new faces, but it's the same church. It may be a new building, but it's the same church. It's a new year, but it's the same church, and we have the same God, and is that, yeah, amen, that's awesome. Um, yeah, and so I was in Mexico, like I mentioned, for a uh, missionary training program, and so we're doing Missions Month this month, and so they were like, Scott, why don't you go up there and share about your time in Mexico, and I was like, that sounds great, I totally have finished thinking about it myself, I'm so ready to share, um, <clears throat> So, um, but before we, before we get into that, last week, Pastor Ben kicked us off for our missions month by talking about the power of one. Um, and so we got to hear a lot of mini stories of people who had gone to the field. We heard about the missionaries who went to the Kachin people in Myanmar. Um, and we also got to hear about like, the, the arc of people who went from Edward Kimball to Billy Graham. Um, and I have one more story to share about a missionary that many of you probably haven't heard of because I had never heard of him until I went down to Mexico myself. Um, He's an incredibly faithful man um, who knew what it meant to look up to God and look out to other people. But first, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come here this morning because we know that our lives are not our own. We know that you have called us to humble ourselves before you. That we may pour out our lives as an offering to you, Lord. We know that we don't have the strength to do that ourselves, so we look to you and the empowerment of your spirit to do so. Um, I pray that through my sharing this morning, I would be an encouragement to the brothers and sisters here um, as they are walking through their many different paths of life. Um, I pray that I would help them to look up to the gospel, um, that they would look towards the glory and wonder of Jesus Christ who has died for them um, and has set them free. And I pray that through my sharing that you would be speaking, Lord, that it would not be my words, but your words. We love you in Jesus name we pray, amen. All right, so the story of John Payton. He's a Scottish man from the 1800s, so I have a lot in common with him. Uh, He lived in Glasgow and he wanted to be a missionary ever since the age of 12. But in his 20s, he started serving in a city ministry for a decade before being commissioned to leave for the field at 34 years old. Right? It's it's a little later than most. Everyone told him that he was a fool to leave his successful inner city ministry, but he knew that the spiritual darkness of the people in the New Hebrides Islands needed the gospel light. Friends and pastors doubted him, and Peyton was deeply troubled, wondering if it was only his own pride that made him want to go. But his parents lifted his spirits when they told him that they had offered him to the Lord as a baby for just such missionary purposes. During one particular argument with an elder, the elder told Peyton and his wife, who had only recently married, you will be eaten by cannibals. To which Peyton replied, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave and there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can live and die... Serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. Peyton was a man who was focused on what the Lord had laid before him. Peyton's wife was pregnant when they arrived. Things were wild. They were surrounded by naked men with painted bodies who had little regard for human life or kindness. A few months after arriving, Peyton's wife, Marianne, gave birth to a baby boy, Peter Peyton. But just three weeks later, Marianne died due to tropical fever, and the baby boy died soon after. Peyton's time in the New Hebrides Island saw a lot of hardship, but Peyton faithfully continued in his work for four years. He regularly became ill with the same fever that killed his wife and son, but, and he was also regularly under attack from the very people he was there to share the gospel with. Spirit-carrying cannibals, setting his house afire, an irate chief stalking him for hours with a loaded musket, a native suddenly rising up from a sickbed and holding him captive with a dagger to his heart. How did Peyton press onward? He would say to himself, this is strength, this is peace, to feel in entering on every day that all its duties and trial have been committed to the Lord Jesus, that come what may, he will use us for his glory and our own real good. One instance in particular, he was fleeing from the local people as they tried to kill him in the dead of night, and he climbed into a tree, unnoticed by all the men pursuing him. He hid there for the whole night while they searched and searched and searched, seeking to kill him. When asked about that night, Peyton said that he felt as though he were in the very arms of Jesus Christ. He would later say that he would happily go through the same experience so that he could feel that intimacy with Jesus again. After four years, John Peyton left the island. He went around Scotland and Australia to raise interest in others to the missionary cause. He remarried, and he returned to the New Hebrides Islands. He returned to the New Hebrides Islands. Let's just let that sink in. To continue in the work that the Lord had given him. Peyton did many, many things by the power of God working through him. He planted a church in his second time there, and he saw all of the inhabitants of the island come to faith. So who would choose suffering like that? What made John Payton into the man that he was? How does someone become like John Payton? That's something I want to know. From his story, we see that John Payton was a man who looked upward and outward instead of in and around. What do I mean by that? Payton didn't look at himself, worrying about his wants and needs, Nor did he look around at others, comparing himself to them or concerning himself with their opinions. Instead, Peyton looked up at God with worship and adoration, and he looked outwards towards others with a heart of service and humility. Peyton was a man who looked up and out, not in and around. So let's go through what these two different perspectives mean as we learn what it means to be faithful in our Christian walk and how we can learn from our brother, John Peyton. So one of my instructors down in Mexico, he heavily, heavily, heavily emphasizes the importance of humility. Um, One of the first classes he taught us was that we looked at a couple passages in the Bible about humility because if you are not humble, you will not be able to do what John Payton did. If you are not humble, you are looking at yourself, you are concerned with your own needs right? You would not be able to suffer like that. So there's two passages that have stuck out to me about humility. The first is Psalm 149.4. It says, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. What I really like about this passage is that you can see the psalmist is equating humble people with the Lord's people. That is who the Lord looks to and you see it again in Isaiah 66 2 in the second half, um, it says, but this is the one to whom I will look, and it is God speaking. It says, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And so that is what I want to focus on for my time in Mexico. While I was there, right, I'm with a ton, ton of other students, and by a ton, I mean 50 Tons of them who are all being prepared to bring the good news to places in the world that has never been to before. I went to this training because I can't imagine a better way of serving God with my life than to bring the gospel to people who live in spiritual darkness. It's a monumental task. And while I was there, I took several classes. I learned how to learn the language, integrated myself in a new community in that new language. I learned a lot of practical skills of how to church plant, how to survive in a new country how to work well on a team. But the most important thing that I learned was what it looks like to look up and out instead of in and around. And that is where you need to be grounded in humility. Peyton lost a wife and a son. He battled his illnesses regularly and he was always under threat of murder by those very people he was there for. Can you imagine how easy it would have been for him to grow despondent the tragic loss of his wife and son. He could have slipped into beyond mourning, into self-pity or anger at God. He could have cycled endlessly through questions we've all asked, like, God, why have you done this to me? God, why did you bring me here to punish me? God, why can't you give me a break? Peyton could have compared his life with people back home or clung to what his critics had told him back home. Life would have been so much easier at my inner city ministry. I was so successful there. Why did I leave that? Everyone back home was right. I should have just stayed. Is it even worth it? How easy it could have been for Peyton to look in and around instead of up and out. Yeah, and that's what I really had to learn and struggle with while I was in Mexico. There were times that were very, very difficult. I would feel alone or there was this strain of conflict doing life so close together with so many other people, um, with how much work we had to do, chores, cleaning, all of these different things, and you know, it's almost more than any person could manage. Um, and so I, like we all struggled, I struggled. I would look to earthly comforts or I would flee from what made me stressed. That tendance, tendency in me to idolize my own comfort or just let those times of stress turn me inward they became, well, I became so focused on myself. I rediscovered how much my own pride and arrogance in that stress resulted in me pushing other people to change how they behaved so that I would be comfortable. I saw that I wanted my needs to be met more than I wanted to meet the needs of others. I would avoid the hard conversations with my classmates because even though I knew there was, it was good for them right that i could be a blessing to them by gently sitting down and giving a correcting guiding word or something like that it felt like a burden that i had to bear even though it was a benefit for them so i wouldn't do it so what the lord revealed in me was that all of these behaviors just showed how focused i was on myself instead of looking outwards and upwards to christ i was looking inwards and around i was prioritizing myself i was forgetting the gospel I was forgetting what Jesus says in Matthew 22 in verses where is it? 37 through 39 or 40 where he says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I didn't Remember that we are to look upward and we are to look outward. And what's astounding is how I had just slipped into this mindset of entitlement, um, thinking that my good works in some places would warrant my comforts in others. I thought I deserved more than the Lord was giving me. And it took me so long to realize that that was how I was behaving. It took me months These aberrations of the gospel, they slip into our hearts, like while we're altogether unaware of it. It's so easy to know the gospel in our minds and yet behave completely contrary to it. The issue with my heart and my knowledge of the gospel wasn't something that just developed in Mexico, right? It wasn't like I went to Mexico and forgot everything and then was like, oh, I guess I have to relearn, no. It's something that had been in my heart growing, festering, for a while, I mean, probably multiple months and years. And it wasn't until I was put to the test and given suffering that my sinful heart was revealed. So I would just, before, I would just go on justifying going to worldly things for comfort and reprieve when life got hard or stressed. I didn't really know that that was anti-gospel. But praise the Lord that he revealed that to me Don't get me wrong, like that sucked. It was hard. (laughs) And a lot of people suffered because of my sin. But praise the Lord because he was purifying me and giving me a deeper knowledge of the gospel by showing me where I had not believed it before. And so... Like, I've got some time while I'm back and before I go to the field. And it's like, what I really want to do is just continue to reflect on these things that the Lord has taught me, to not forget those times that were so hard. Because I need to remind myself that my life is not about me, it's about God. Like, that's the gospel truth, right? He, He has saved me, I am His Son. And just like Christ, I am to serve others, right? We just read from Philippians 2 during worship. He gave up everything to come down so that he could be a servant. Right? Like, that's what biblically, like, grounded, fundamentally solid faith looks like. It's looking out. It's looking up. It's not looking in. It's not looking around. And grasping this one truth is the thing that more than anything will liberate us from the tyranny of self, even a redeemed self. It's not like I wasn't a Christian when I was in Mexico. It's just that I had gotten so focused on the wrong things. And that's why we need to just be refocusing and recentering on what it means to be looking to God and to be looking to serve others. We need to see that Christ is all that we need And that's what we see in the life of John Payton. He was a man who knew that life is all about God. He had his eyes focused on Christ. He knew that come what may, the Lord is good. Think about that. Think about the story I just told you of his life. And he could say, the Lord is good. All things we face pass through his good hands for our good and his glory. Would tell himself, This is strength. This is peace. To feel an entering on every day that all its duties and trial have been committed to the Lord Jesus, that come what may, He will use us for His glory in our own real good. That's how you continue going when you lose your wife and your child, because you have your hope founded rock solidly on the gospel. You're look, looking with your eyes fixed on who Christ is. He he would remind himself, Jesus' promise from the end of the Great Commission, I am with you always. Never a moment in everything that he went through was he apart from Christ. Instead of looking in and around, he kept his gaze focused upward and outward. And in those afflictions, that's where the Lord creates a context to reveal his grace and glory in us and through us. On one day, a fierce-looking chief followed Peyton around for four hours, frequently pointing his loaded musket at him as if to shoot him. And the whole time, he was just praying silently to himself. "Just Lord, if this is the time for me to go, then this is the time for me to go. But he just continued on serving faithfully, and the Lord spared him. It's like, where is the secret to this gallant spirit? And it's just looking to the Lord, remembering his word. Peyton tells us that life in such circumstances led me to cling very near to the Lord Jesus. With my trembling hand clasped in the hand once nailed on Calvary and now swaying the scepter of the universe, calmness and peace abode in my soul. Trials and hairbreadth escapes strengthened my faith and seemed only to nerve me for more to follow. Without that abiding consciousness of the presence and power of my dear Lord and Savior, nothing else in all the world could have preserved me from losing my reason and perishing miserably. His words, Lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the world, became very real to me, and I felt his supporting power. I had my nearest and dearest glimpses of the face and smile of my blessed Lord in those dread moments when musket, club, or spear was being leveled at my life. What do we see? He was a man who persevered when life was difficult. He was a man who continually looked upward to Christ so that he could continue his ministry looking outward as he served. Peyton knew where to turn when life got hard. And so he was a loving and faithful minister and friend to local people who oftentimes just wanted to kill him. But his steadfastness and persistence was such a powerful witness that when he returned to those islands with his second wife, the native people cried out, we slew or drove them all away. We plundered their houses and robbed them. Had we been so treated, nothing would have made us return. But they come back with a beautiful new ship and with more and more missionaries. And is it a trade to get money like the other white men? No, no. But to tell us of their Jehovah God and of his son Jesus. If their God makes them do all that, we may well worship him too. You can see that the Lord used Peyton's character as a powerful, impactful part of his gospel witness. The native people could clearly see the difference between missionaries like Peyton and other white people who had come to the islands before just to take advantage of them. Looking upward and outward completely changes how we interact with the people around us. And it's the same for God's people everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're a missionary somewhere or if you're right here in the Bay Area. That is what we are called to do. And while I was in Mexico, I was not doing that. There were so many times where I was acting pridefully and selfishly, like I was looking in and around instead of up and out. I was still reading my Bible. I was still praying. But the problem was that I wasn't really meditating on Christ to know him more. Instead, I was learning about him in my classes or in my own personal devo time. And I was even seeing new things in scripture that were really cool, but I wasn't taking the time to let my love for Christ grow. So let me give you two contrasting examples of what it looks like to know about Christ versus to know Christ. So I was doing a Bible reading plan. Well, I'm still doing the same Bible reading plan. And I started in Genesis. For about one and a half months, I was taking time to write down observations about God that stood out to me from my reading. Um, So from Genesis 2 through 3, I noticed that God is so caring and compassionate he molds Adam from clay with his own hands into his own image. He gives Adam all the food he could need and places him in a paradise land. He recognizes Adam's need for a helper even before Adam could see it himself. God creates Eve in his own image as well. Then even though Adam and Eve disobey God and God knows it, he gives them an opportunity to repent when he asks, where are you? Like He knew where they were but he gave them that, that opportunity. And instead, they start blaming one another. And God is patient and gracious in his response. He provides the sacrifice for Adam and Eve to cover them. And that's all like really cool stuff to notice, right? You see so much about the character of God just in those few verses. Um, and I've read the Genesis 3 account more than a dozen times, probably. And that's the first time that I realized that God was giving Adam and Eve that opportunity to repent when he asks them, Where are you? And he asked them twice. But all of those cool things, like I was just knowing more stuff about God. So here's what it's like for me to know God while I'm learning about him. I've been reading this book called Delighting in the Trinity. It's all about just reflecting on the marvelous truth that God is a Trinity and not just one single person. It sounds super abstract, right? Like, everyone's like, oh, Trinity, yeah, like, that's the right thing to say, so I'll just say that God's a Trinity, you know, Jesus is God, God the Father, Holy Spirit, A+. Um, But we don't actually spend that much time really, like, thinking about what that means. And this book is, like, really concrete in how it goes through, like, the implications of, like, who is this God who is a Trinity, um, <clears throat> and the author starts by talking about how important it is that Christ is the son. Because that means that he has a father. You can't be a son without a father. And because God is father and son and they've existed from all eternity past, they've loved each other perfectly from all eternity past. The love that the father and son share is why God made all of creation in the first place. Because God as Father and Son have always been loving one another and with the Holy Spirit worked in there as well. And so they created everything that we have just so that they could pour out that love that they share for one another with more people. When God created Adam and Eve, He put them in a garden with everything they could possibly need as a way of showing that same love plentiful and bountiful with trees of all kinds. He provided them with every blessing they could possibly imagine. And then he gives them this command. Be fruitful and multiply. Enjoy all that I have created and placed before you. You may go anywhere in this garden. You have dominion over it so that you may enjoy it. And by enjoying it, love me. This is my command for you, that you may know the love that I have for my son and for my creation there is one tree in the garden that I have placed for you not to eat. It is just like the other trees in the garden that I, that I have given you. However, I want you to not eat of it so that by obedience you will come to love me more. And I was as I was reading about that, I was struck and so so thankful that we have a God who is characterized by his love. That he gave so plentifully and bountifully and in his wisdom, he knew that our love only grows in obedience. That he has loved his son from eternity past and it is that love that overflows to us. That he gets to give us his son freely and say, look, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Look to him also. You have been dead in your, in your sins and your trespasses and so I have sent my son that he may die for you so that you may have salvation, that you may have new life through him and be restored and redeemed back to our God who loved us, who we spurned and turned away from. And I have just been so blown away reading about the character of God in this book, just reading it and finding myself coming to worship. I would really recommend the book I don't know if y'all really like reading, but it's only like 150 pages. It's called "Delighting in the Trinity." It only came out this year. It's so good. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so like, what's the difference here? They sound really similar, don't they? That first example of the observations I made, and then like thinking on the same biblical story of God and creation. The difference is that before I was not there to love God. I was there to like read about Him to make some observations and to be like, oh, those things are cool, nice. But I stopped short of worshiping him. I stopped short of worshiping the God that we love for who he is and what he's done. And then when I came to delighting in the Trinity, I came with his intent to learn about God, but also to adore him. Just like, wow, that's awesome. Like, I can't believe that this is the God who has decided to love me. Because I'm a terrible person. Like, I'm not just there to study I'm there to recognize the personal relationship that our God calls us to. It's a very small difference, but it's so important. And so the question that now stands is like, what would I do if I were in that same posture as before, where I don't feel that awe while learning about God? How do I remind myself to be looking upward and outward instead of inward and around? And so if you're asking yourself the same question, you're not alone. I have found that the best place for me to start is to slow down. I know that when I'm not feeling in awe of God, it's because I'm moving too quickly. I'm trying to do this thing and then do that other thing, and my mind is in all sorts of places. My mind is drifting into this place where my life is about myself because I'm thinking about all the things that I have to do instead of thinking about the God who has made me. The second part is to pray continually. This is a practice that I've developed and I will continue to do hopefully until the day that I die or the lord makes me into more of a christ like person but i will just pray like lord i am too focused on myself i am losing sight of that which is good and that which is true help me to remember the joy and the wonder that i have in christ that i have salvation through him help me to look up and to look out and the third thing that i do is to remember things that I've read or heard that have sparked that awe or like that desire to worship in me before. One of the most common commandments in the Bible is to remember. God is constantly telling the people of Israel, like, remember, remember Egypt. I brought you out of there. Remember this time that I have saved you from all of the peoples in Israel and given you the land of Canaan as I promised. Like, remember, 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 because we're so forgetful. One of my instructors like to say that the Christian life is being reminded of things that we've forgotten, because we go through and we just like, oh, this is amazing, and we la 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 la, we just like walk off. It's like what the heck. So yeah, Cultiv- like let those things that you've learned flow into thankfulness and thanksgiving. Cultivate that spirit of love for God. The Lord has given everything we need for a godly life, every spiritual blessing, and if we ask and we seek, we will find. He will give generously. Remember that, just continually go back to that. We become like the things that we love. And so we need to come to knowing about Christ with a heart to know him personally so that we may love him. We have been given Christ, we get Christ. Isn't that awesome? So there's one more part of the story of John Payton that I would like to share. Peyton went to the New Hebrides Islands in 1859. But 20 years before, in 1839, two other missionaries by the names of Reverend John Williams and James Harris went to the New Hebrides Islands as well. And the day after they landed, they were brutally slaughtered by the native peoples there as revenge for what colonists had done on those islands. John Payton knew about this before going. And he said, With those two men, the blood of the martyrs has been spilled and is the seed of the church. So what's the difference between John Payton and these men? Really think about it. So I would say nothing. Nothing is really that different between them. John Payton had a successful ministry, and the first two men were martyred. But all three of them were being faithful to what the Lord had called them to the only difference is what God had planned for their lives. Is that not the most humbling thing in the world? That we are simply called to be faithful? These, two, these three men went to these islands knowing that there was certain danger and there was no certainty of survival because one greater than them gave us his example. Because Jesus came down from heaven and emptied himself to take on the form of a servant, to lead a perfect life where he was beaten and mocked and scorned, where he was led to the cross and where he was pierced for our transgressions in pure loving obedience of his Father and in love for each of us. Jesus died so that each of us might live and be raised from death into life alongside him. Jesus and his grace freely given for our benefit with such high of a cost, that is the good news that allows men like John Payton and John Williams and James Harris to be faithful. Knowledge of the gospel and love of Christ. These are the two things that every missionary and every believer needs to be prepared for what the Lord has them for. So this is what we look to as we look up and out instead of in and around It is with these two things that we can be faithful to our loving Father. Faithfulness, it doesn't happen by accident. Faithfulness means that we're like, we're applying ourselves through the strength that he gives us. So when I was at the Radius Conference a couple weeks ago, uh, a man that I dearly admire was speaking. And his name is Ian Hamilton. I was so excited to hear him speak for one of the messages. And like, I know he intimately knows and loves the Lord. I was telling people how excited I was, like he was the last message of the first day. And I was like, oh, this is great. And so I go in and I sit with Pastor Andrew for uh, Ian's message. And I was diligently taking notes on my phone. I was soaking it in for about 20 minutes. And then I got distracted on my phone. Ian was directing my gaze up towards the Lord, but instead... I chose to look to my phone instead of the Lord. I started playing a game on there because I wanted to be entertained, right? I was looking inward at myself. I played for like 10 minutes, and then I was like, oh, shoot, this is really stupid. I should be paying attention to this message that I've been looking forward to all day. But by then, I had lost the train of thought. I had lost the arc of the whole message. I couldn't get it back. And so the message that I was so looking forward to hearing had been spoiled because I let myself get distracted. And As I was reflecting on it afterwards, I realized how ironic it was that Ian had been speaking on the importance of applying oneself to the Christian life, and instead I applied myself to playing my game. So after that, I deleted the game from my phone, and I decided that I won't download any games on my phone because I know I don't have self-control to focus when I'm in a situation like that. And I can't apply myself if I can't focus. It's a small discipline. It's a really small thing, but it's so important. With all my heart, I want each of you to grow in faithfulness and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. After everything that I experienced down in Mexico, the suffering, but also the joys, and now being back, I have found that my love for Christ Has grown ever so sweeter. And those close to me can see the difference it has had on me as a person. Remembering the gospel and knowing Christ, looking up and looking out instead of in and around, that is what allows us to be faithful. God is our loving Father who has given us his law for our good so that we may know him better through our obedience to him. He is wise and he is loving. And as we love him, we grow in our faithfulness. We grow in our obedience, not a cold obedience. That's how we slip back into just a works-based righteousness, thinking that we can work and earn something. But instead, it's a warm obedience fueled by our love and our adoration of our Father. So my challenge to you is this. How can you be faithful in your lives right now? How can you be intentional about how you come to know Christ each and every day? to fix your eyes on him? How can you come to the word to be overwhelmed by his wonder and majesty? So like me and that game on my phone, it starts with a lot of little things. Are you finding yourself unable to focus during your devos or when you're with your friends? Remember, we are looking up to Christ and out towards others. Life is not about me, it's about God. And a big part of that is being present in what we're doing. Delete that app you use to gratify your desire for entertainment. Practice staying present during prayer and while you're listening to sermons. Changing our behavior is not what changes our hearts, but changing our behavior can give us the space to recognize those heart issues and to bring those to the Lord so that we may know him more. And If you have any inkling of wanting to know Christ more, you already have a great start. Our spiritual disciplines instructor in Mexico loved to say that our spiritual disciplines are to put ourselves in places where we may encounter the loveliness of Christ. Isn't that awesome? I like that. It's like if you're trying to get hit by a bus, where should you go? Do you go to an empty field or do you go to a bus stop? Right? We're trying to get hit by that loveliness of Christ. So go do those things that help you be in those places. Spiritual disciplines are important but our posture that we enter into those disciplines with is critical too. We can open our Bibles for all sorts of reasons as a religious duty, an attempt to earn God's favor, or thinking that it serves as like a moral self-help guide. But that's why we feel so discouraged when we're reading our Bibles. The fear is that we'll merely be studying these scriptures as texts that are interesting instead of hearing them as God's very words to hold out Christ and draw us to want him. For the Spirit has breathed out these very words for us to know God, for us to know Christ. That we may have a sincere affection for Him. That we may embrace Him wholeheartedly. So to end, before I close us in prayer and call up the worship team, I want to read Hebrews 12, 1-2, which says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I am thankful for men like John Payton, for women like his wife and their faithfulness in going going through unbelievably difficult trials. I'm thankful that we may read about them and hear about their lives, that by their testimony uh, that we may be encouraged, that we may remember what the, the two greatest commandments are, that you've called us to love you and to love people. And I pray that we would continually come before you with a heart to worship you, to love you, to know you, um, to not get stuck thinking that we deserve something, not get stuck with a spirit of entitlement, not to have our hearts draw cool towards you, Lord, but instead to be warm and encouraged and just overflow with the same love that you overflow with for your son, Lord. Thank you for this time. May you be with each person here as they're reflecting. May you lead them towards you. May you be a source of encouragement for them as they look to you and to your character. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.